Welcome to Season 5 of Fowler Who You Got. I hope your summer was fun and fulfilling. Mine certainly was. But what's got me excited now, football season is here. And who I've got for the season's first episode is the first football coach guest we have ever had, the first-year coach of the Fighting Irish, Marcus Freeman. Now, to call him a fast-rising star in the profession is understating it. At age 36, after just one season at Notre Dame, Marcus was promoted from defensive coordinator to head coach of the world's most famous college football program when Brian Kelly suddenly left for LSU right before the bowl game. We'll talk about what will define success for his team and for him, what being a new age players coach means to him, about growing up in a household of hard work, discipline, sacrifice, love, and respect, and how he's balancing massive new responsibilities while he and his wife Joanna are raising six kids. At the end of our conversation, another first, Marcus turned the tables and interviewed me. Well, Marcus, I'm so grateful for your time and so much to cover, but I want to start with meeting the moment because so many of us have moments to meet in our lives and in some ways they define the course of our lives. Few have a, a moment as massive as the chance to prove yourself as worthy of being named head coach at Notre Dame, but what kind of qualities that you have helped you be able to meet that moment in your conversations with Father John Jenkins, the president of Notre Dame, and Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director, to put you in the position to have this opportunity? Chris, I wish I could tell you it was one thing. I, you know, I don't know exactly what it was. I kind of go back and you reflect and you look at your journey. And, and um, I tell coaches all the time, because everybody's looking for that magical formula. Like, what is it? What do you have to do to put yourself in that position? And, and I think there's two things. you got to work really hard, right? you got to work really hard where you're at no matter what you're doing but I think you have to make good decisions and, and you don't know sometimes what exactly are those good decisions um, until you can go back and reflect you know I, I wanted to be the best GA I could be when I was at Ohio State and, and I wanted to be the best linebackers coach at Kent State and Purdue and then I go to Cincinnati and you work really hard and you focus and then you always look at those opportunities that present themselves and you you justify whatever the reasoning is to yourself. Um, and, and I hope that it's a reflection of hard work. You, you try to continue to gain knowledge. You know, you can try to continue to grow, but you make really good decisions. Well, you get nowhere. You flunk the test if you're not prepared. So obviously preparation, which you went through, you had done, and then you have to have the, the presentation of that. And you have to have the instincts probably to know what is the right thing in the moment, because as a 36 year old guy, who's not been a head coach before, that's not the model hire for Notre Dame as a head coach, at least it historically has not been. So you have to convince people to trust you, to believe in you and Take a risk because let's face it, you, you were a little bit of a risky hire just because the resume doesn't look the same as some other guys. A lot of it. That's a lot of bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I hope every day I was here um, and maybe even before I was here, I was on a job interview. You know, I hope that no matter when somebody was observing Marcus Freeman, that they said, okay, this is a man at some point and someday could, could lead this program. And, and part of that is, is, Loving our players. Part of that is, is, again, as I said earlier, work entirely, but trying to do the best job I can as the defensive coordinator of this place, treating people with respect. And, and um, hopefully those actions speak for themselves in terms of being able to 
you know, not win the interview, but tell a story about who Marcus Freeman is while he's here. You believe in self-talk. You say you gain energy from self-talk. I don't know if it's out loud or if it's just inside your head. What were the self-talks like before you go into these, these crucial job interviews, these opportunities where you can cement it? Or let's be honest, like all of us, you could blow it in those, in those moments. What self-talks did you have? Well, I think it, it goes for me, it always went back to preparation. And so moments before and, and days before hours, however long it is that you have to prepare, you prepare, you prepare, you prepare. But then when you go into that job interview, to me, you have to be yourself. You have to be the same person that got you into this chair. But you have a sense of confidence when you feel prepared. I always tell everybody, I try to mentor young people, preparation is confidence. It doesn't guarantee success, but it provides you that foundation to believe in yourself while still being humble. Hum humility and confidence balancing, I think, is an interesting thing. So finally, Marcus, you get to share with your team what you've known for about a day and a half, which is you're going to be the next head coach at the most world-famous football program there is, Notre Dame. They're told to report for a team run, and then there's the big reveal. And, man, that video is just pure gold for any of us that – love and appreciate sports and, and you get to like bounce into the room and kind of bounce into their arms. And very few of us will get to experience that kind of a moment. Take us through it. Ooh, I remember uh, probably about five minutes before I walked in there, I addressed um, the entire football staff, everybody that is involved with our football program and, and, you know, told him how humble and honored I am to be the leader. And then I was remember we were walking back way, the back way through the tunnel um, to go into the locker room at Notre Dame Stadium. And, uh, you know, there was, there was a, to say there wasn't butterflies, I would be lying. And, and you know, as I heard Coach Bayless, um, our strength coach, kind of dressing the group, you know, I know my heart was beating and, and, I wish I could go back and, and do it all over again, right? I just wish you can wake <laughs> up every day and, and relive that moment. But um, I just knew when that door opened, um, I wanted to embrace it. You know, I didn't want to say a speech. I didn't want to, you know, all of a sudden say, hey, here's the, the new culture. Here's what we're going to do. I just wanted to embrace those guys because those are your players. Those, it, you know, there's this misconception that you don't get your guys until you recruit them. No, the minute you're named head coach, those are your guys. And so, the ability to, to embrace them, to be with them. My family was there in the background. Um, it was a surreal feeling that uh, I'll never forget. Yeah, that's, that is an unforgettable video, which I would encourage people to seek out on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Look, I, most people who come in as new coaches inherit problems, inherit rebuilding situations. They don't inherit 11 and one teams with a solid core of leaders and veterans. And you did get that amazing opportunity nevertheless at Notre Dame, yet you also had a team that felt to some degree, to varying degrees, angry, hurt by Brian Kelly's departure. He made a decision for himself. Players have a hard time sometimes coming to grips with that stuff. So there needed to be some, I would think, healing and mending done right away on the spot with a bowl game coming up and, and some seniors playing their last game at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I wanted to make this about the seniors, I wanted to make it about Notre Dame because it it's really easy to associate a football program with a head coach. Um, but it's, to me, it's about the program and it's about these kids and it's about the seniors that have been here four or five years and, and really 
um, bled for this program. And so that's what I wanted to make sure this focal, the focus was, is that, hey, we wanted to finish that bowl game as, as champions. Unfortunately, we didn't. We didn't, we didn't win that game. But I think the process from the minute I was named head coach to um, that bowl game was just to let's focus on the present, focus on the seniors, focus, focus on finishing this season off the right way. And, and you know what? We're going to change. We're going to change. We're going to do the things that I believe it takes to have success. Um, we're not going to erase Brian Kelly, right? He uh, he did amazing things for this program in 11 years. And as you said, you take over a team that finished last season before the bowl game, number five in the country. And so um, it's unbelievable where this program is at. And, and But now it's my opportunity to lead this program to uh, in a way that, that I feel is best to my leadership style and to um, the type of kids that we have. And so I'm going to trust the, the, the things and the way I've led to get me here. I'm going to continuously try to learn um, ways to enhance the way I'm as a leader. And uh, we'll see uh, what results come from that. Let's talk about your leadership style. When the players have a players only meeting and seven captains go to the AD and say, we want coach Freeman and you are the player's choice players coach sort of a la is a label that comes along with that along with someone who's as young as you are now players coach means different things in college ball the nfl the nba old school college football coaches don't necessarily consider players coach a compliment i know that you have your own spin on that what does players coach mean <laughs> to you marcus well, it, it's not the, the definition that Lou Holtz had. And the first time I met with Coach Holtz, um, I remember the first thing he said was, Marcus, I can tell you one thing. My players would never call me a player's coach. And I said, oh, Coach Holtz, you know, and, and I just started laughing. Um, but here's what I hope it, it – I, I embrace being a player's coach in my terms, right, and that there is no great coaches without great players. And – I tell these guys, and I hope not just through my words, but through my actions. I say, I'm a teammate. I'm a teammate. I'm the captain. I get it. I set the standards. I hold people accountable. I'm the guy that has to continue to evaluate our standards and, and different things that are going to help us achieve our goals. But I'm in the fight with you. There is no one person that's more important than another. And when we have success, I want to be the first one to say it's because of you. When we have failures, I'm going to be the first one to say, what didn't I do as an individual to make sure that we had a chance to have success? And that's what I hope those around me do. I hope our players do the same thing. I hope our coaches do the same thing. And so I am a player's coach. Um, I love them. I respect them. But my job is to help them reach their goals, too. And in order to do that, you're going to have to be very demanding. You're going to have to make sure that um, you hold every person in this organization to the standards that you set. And so um, that, to me, is is part of my role. You know what? My part of my role is to make sure that they reach their current goals and their future goals. So how can I make sure that I do everything in my power to help them become national champions, help them develop to be NFL football players, but also help them learn um, different opportunities that they could take advantage of while they're here that will help them in life after football. And so all those different things encompass to me what a player's coach is. You've expressed that you have a lot to learn and you're going to make mistakes. We all know that's a part of any growth curve, especially a job that is as extremely demanding like, like head coach at Notre Dame and that you need to learn from those mistakes. At what point can you hope to get to a place in this growth curve where mistake avoidance isn't the top thing and you can just kind of let it go and try to be as close to perfect as you can be. I mean, that that's a high bar, but we all go through 
periods where I, I, I just, I don't want to make this mistake. I don't want to screw this up. And that, that's a tough place to kind of navigate through, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And um, I think you're always in, in a place where you're trying to avoid mistakes, you know, and that, um, but I, I think a part of it is, is how can you prepare as hard as you can to learn some of those things that you don't have to learn um, post game? right, or post-experience. And so that's gaining knowledge from other people that have done it, gaining knowledge from those that, that have wisdom to give you and, and, you know, really learning from other individual success and so, uh, or mistakes. And that's something that I, I really, um, I, I try to do, but the mistakes are going to happen. It, it's about learning from, it's about growing from them and about not making them twice and not making too many of them. <laughs> yeah, no, we never stop making mistakes or, or trying to avoid them, but I think that sometimes we're just top of mind is don't make a mistake. You don't want, you don't want your players to be like that on the field. You can't go out in the field and worry about these don't make a mistake. And that's just not the way to succeed in football or anything else. So I, I hear what you're saying. hundred percent. I think a big, up, a big part, go ahead, Chris. No, go ahead. Finish. I think a big part is, is looking back, reevaluating and say, what didn't we do or what did we do? That's going to help us in the future. That's something that we have to continuously do. Right. And that, you know, I'm not looking at the Oklahoma State bleeding up to there saying, what mistakes can I make, you know, with a negative mindset. And, and but when you look back and say, OK, what things can we learn from that game, from that process of preparation? Right. The game and so many different examples that we got to be able to go back and reflect. You want to be able to do that after wins. Right. Those are the best times that you can go back and reflect and learn from those um, those moments after victories. But, you know, in defeat, I think you have to do it, too. I want to talk about your background. It's a background where you were shown from day one, I guess, hard work, discipline, commitment, and sacrifice. Your dad was in the Air Force, I think, for 26 years. Um, Your mom arrived from Korea as an immigrant in 76 and had to work, I've heard you say, three different jobs. So describe what you saw from them and and how that made you feel as a kid and how you've carried that forth into adulthood and and as a coach. Yeah, so my father was 43. when my mother had me and, and he was retired and, and um, he was a coach. He, he was one, our youth league coach, um, you know, but he was tough. He was a tough guy, very um, discipline oriented, was, was a firm believer. And you just outwork your competition. You, you love your family, you treat people with respect, but you, you're, you're never outworked. And um, sometimes his leadership wise was by example. I mean, he woke me and my brother up early in the morning and <laughs> while he was finishing his workouts, we were running in place and uh, you know, our workouts began <laughs> finished. And so running those in are place real- in the room there. And I, I heard, I heard you say the dad had a weight bench in the dining room. Now that is a snapshot that says a lot about the family. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, um, we're going to do a, uh, there's a, a segment on college game day that I think, they're going to try to get back and, and show a, a picture of it. Um, I'm sure there's some evidence around. He, he says it wasn't as, as strict as, as I make it seem to be, but um, I beg to differ. I know how I remember it, you know, versus how he may remember it. And, and But then you look at my mother, you know, and, and she, to me, spoke good English. But now that you go back sometimes, you say, hey, it might have been broken English. And, and um but she just worked tirelessly and she loved her family. And she would, I remember go to work. She was probably either on her way to work or leaving shortly after we were up at five 30 working out. And, you know, on the weekend, she had another job with her Korean friends and then a night job being a custodian. And, and I remember when she came home, she would always cook an American meal for my father and 
sometimes for us, me and my brother, and and then she would make a Korean meal for her. And you know, me, I was I was bigger back then, so I would eat probably some of the American meal and some of the Korean meal, and, and <laughs> that's how I got to where I was. But the sacrifice, the sacrifice she would make, the selflessness that she had, um, the love she had for her family is something I'll always remember. Yeah, you you said that she made everyone feel important. And that's something you tried to carry across. I, I like a Maya Angelou quote where people will remember primarily how you made them feel more even than what you did or what you said to them. And obviously you had to make people feel comfortable in yourself to get this job. A college football coach probably manages more people than any other coaching job in the world that I can think of just because the roster size is double that of the NFL, et cetera. How, how do you strive to make everyone on that group and that organization feel important? Well, I think it starts with treating people with respect and you can be demanding. You can be clear on expectations. You can address issues um, with honesty and openness and still treat people with respect. You know, please. And thank, I, I say it all the time to our staff saying, please. And thank you. Um, it, it shouldn't be a, re, a reminder that I have to give to others, but it's something that we have to do, you know, to be respectful of others. And, and that's just the way I was raised, you know, now, I think the other part of it is being very clear on your standards and very clear on it, what you expect. And the other part is we have to meet right now, being fresh, being new, we have to meet constantly so everybody understands exactly what the expectations are. We cannot assume, I cannot assume everybody knows exactly what I want. We have to meet daily to make sure we're on the same page. We address any issues that may arose from the day before and everybody's clear on the, the responsibilities. And so that's something I've, been doing and it's probably a little bit different than when coach Keller was here being here 11 years you know his expectations were very clear you know and and everybody knew exactly what he expected whereas with me I think being new being a first year head coach we all have to meet daily we have to make sure we revisit what happened the day before we're on the same page on what's going to happen today and where we are moving forward you were an excellent college football player at Ohio State, four-year letterman, three years as a starter at linebacker, among the top tacklers in the team. You go to the league, give it a chance, but then your career suddenly ends with a physical with the Indianapolis Colts when they discover an enlarged valve in your heart. And right away, your dreams of playing football are taken away instantly. How does that shape how you are as a coach and how you relate to young people who believe that football will last forever? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing is, is I remember back to when I was playing or, or even before I was college, my only focus was on playing the game at the highest level, trying to go to the NFL, trying to win national championships. You didn't think about life after football because I think there was this misconception that, hey, if you start to think about life after football, you're not going to give yourself the best chance to have success. And, and I tell our players often, that's a crazy way to think right? And that you can work tirelessly. You can do everything in your power to make sure you're the most successful football player you can be. But it's a shame if you don't utilize this network and utilize this degree and utilize the opportunities you have while you're here. And so I spent an enormous amount of time of telling them, it's okay. Use it. It's encouraging. Use your network. Because at some moment, it's a guarantee the game of football is going to be over. And it's, it, it's scary to kind of try to figure out what you're going to do after football when it's already over, you know, utilize this opportunity to kind of figure out what passions you have, what connections you have that can help you in that transition when you're done. And so I love being the head coach here because you're able to offer so many different opportunities for these young guys to have 
um, opportunities to connect with other people, to connect with the network, especially this Notre Dame network, and kind of just figure out at different times um, what passions you might have outside of football. We're not going to cheat football now. We're not going to cheat that. We have no way to, to maximize who we are as a football team if we do that. But there's time that you can truly um, network and figure out th- that transition in terms of things you're passionate about. You end up at Ohio State because your dad grew up in Columbus and is a huge Ohio State fan. I've read wasn't even able to afford going to games, but that didn't lessen his passion for the Buckeyes. You know, you're growing up in the state of Ohio. It's, it's a powerful, seductive thing. So you go to Ohio State, and now in one of those scripts that sports provides that's even crazier <laughs> than anything a writer could come up with, you have your first regular season game at Notre Dame back in the horseshoe in Columbus against Ohio State, where you also began as a GA where Jim Tressel was your coach and remains a mentor. I mean, the story kind of writes itself, man. I mean, you're trying to win a game, but for those of us that set up these plot lines, yeah. it's incredible, really. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm going to let you all and the media run with that plot line <laughs> and, and continue to make a great story because I know that's important. Fortunate for me, I get to try to control the narrative in this building. And, and that's what I'm going to do and tell these players and make sure everybody in this program understands this is about Notre Dame. And this is about this football program getting a chance to go play a great opponent in Ohio State. What better way to see where we're at as a football program to play a team like that week one? And that's the beauty. We're going back. I, I'm, I've been going back studying last year and um, we it, it took us a little bit of time but we were a much better team towards the end of the season in terms of what we were going and how we were executing and you can't start slow versus an opponent like Ohio State and so we have to prepare and we have to make sure in training camp this team is ready to go September 3rd and so listen I love it because there's no lack of motivation for these guys in training camp these days it's going to be hot and it's going to be hard listen Hey guys, all we got to do is show you who, you who we're playing September 3rd and, and that motivation will be there. So I'll let the story be about Marcus Freeman going back to Ohio State um, from the media point of view, but I can't wait um, to take this football team into Columbus, Ohio and uh, go compete against a, a team that's one of the best in the country. Well, the story is about a lot of things, but you can't ignore <laughs> that facet. Listen, you strike me as someone who's worked hard to know themselves very well, but it's a brand new experience to run out not as an assistant coach, not as a GA, but as the guy in front of the team into the horseshoe. Have you envisioned that? Do you have an expectation from yourself how that's going to feel? I would hope it doesn't feel that much different than it was in, in Arizona for the bowl game, you know, and that's the best part about it. I've done it as an opponent in Ohio State when we are at Cincinnati. I know it's the assistant coach, so I've done it there. I know where the away locker room is. I ran out my first game um, versus Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl. So there should, the, the focus for me should be preparation and what matters uh, to help us have a chance to be victorious in this game. And so, um, again, it's not September 3rd. I don't know what the emotions will be um, when I get there, but I just tell myself, oh, I've already ran out as the head coach. I've already done that. I've already been to Ohio State as an assistant coach on the opposing team. And so – Let's focus on the things that really matter, and that's making sure this team's ready to execute. Well, an ex-Ohio State coach, of course, is Jim Trestle, won a championship there, and you, you've talked about him being an important mentor to you and you learning things you know, from him. I, I guess I get either the, 
the blame or the credit for for dubbing him Senator Tressel because of the way he used to hold those press conferences in a tie and a sweater vest with an American flag and an Ohio flag and used to deflect questions and try to answer as blandly as possible, which a lot of coaches do. And and so I, I felt that he was he was Senator Tressel. Now I know you're a different person than him, but you've taken a lot from him. Uh, I don't I don't see your style though in in dealing with all the peripheral stuff of, of, of a program being quite the same as him. Yeah. I, I, listen, he's still the same way. I still ask him questions and he gives me <laughs> every answer except for the answer that I'm looking for, you know? <laughs> and it's like, he tells me I do every certain thing except for, Hey, if I ask him about a media or I ask him about, you know, a scrimmage, he'll give me every answer except for the answer that I'm really looking for. But um, I love him. He's the best. And uh, you know, Chris, for me, I got to be who I am. That's the one thing I've learned more than anything is be who you are. Now, you have to be smart in terms of the things you say. You know, I've learned that um, at an early stage of being a head coach that, you know, you don't want to give anybody any added motivation, you know, and, and you got to be very um, intentional about what you say because it can be twisted and, and, you know, kind of put out in other ways that, that individuals see is good for them. You know, and so um, I think you learn every day. You're learning every day. I'm going to be who I am. I want to be authentic because if I'm not, I think people will see right through it. But um, you got to be calculated in the messaging and, and the things that you do say. No doubt. You, you always impressed me as a player and as an assistant coach. And I thought of you when you did get the head coaching job. It's about the same time that I was trying to juggle calling four games in 11 days and the time management challenge. Listen, I'm old, but I think you always have to figure ways to improve and enhance your time management, like until your last day on earth, how in the world have you had to uh, adjust and grow on the fly Marcus in terms of time management, you go from being a, a daily concern is stop the other team's offense. That's what you do as a defensive coordinator to suddenly being the guy at Notre Dame and the amount of people pulling at you for time and the demands grows exponentially. How did you keep yeah. your head clear and the static as quiet as possible? And how do you, cause it's still ongoing. Yeah. I want to had to learn to use a Google calendar. Um, <laughs> I've never had a calendar before. I never had to put things on a calendar and, and now I have to use that to give me reminders of what I've agreed to. What do I have coming up? What's important. Um, but, but right now, for me, Chris, as I look back on this year, um, I've said yes to a lot of different things. And it's been very intentional because I have to figure out what truly needs my time and what doesn't. Right? When it comes to football time, when it comes to training camp, I'm going to trust me, I'm going to be all in. It's football, football. But I've said yes to a lot of different things that you get um, asked to do as the head coach of this, this prestigious program. And so I did that very intentionally. So now after this year, you can go back and reflect and say, okay, these are the things that are truly important to making sure that your players have success. Ultimately, that's why I'm in this year. Every day I come into work, it's making sure that I'm doing everything in my power to make sure this program and these players have as much opportunity to have success as they can. And so um, part of that is saying yes to a lot of people. Part of that is, is um, being in the office and, 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 having a pulse for my team you know this is july and, and a lot of people are supposed to be off and, and on vacation and we have family time we went on disney cruise which people say oh you took a vacation i said i was out of the office i wasn't on vacation <laughs> it's six kids on a cruise ship but um um and my wife has been great she's been amazing um she's saying go 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 figure it out um the one thing you're not going to do is fail because you didn't put enough effort into it but 
I hope after this year, I can go back and reflect and say, okay, here's where I can have um, an opportunity to maybe spend more family time or opportunity to, to really be respectful of my time in terms of my family, in terms of this football program and what's necessary. So time management is, is an everyday learning process. Um, you know, you have to try to be organized and, but try to organize in terms of what's important and what's not. Six kids in a cruise ship sounds like a reality show name. That's a, that's a whole nother podcast on that market. <laughs> hey, let's talk about, you know, you, you've talked about the drive to be prepared and that takes planning. And, and I know you're a planner and that's one of the things that, that Jim Trussell was so superb at and still is, but you've also talked about presence. So for busy people out there who juggle lots of things, including a family, how do you play it off the preparation versus the presence where you're not looking ahead, you're right in the moment. Um, whether it's to uh, a player or one of your kids or your wife? No, oh, it's an everyday battle. It's an everyday battle. And uh, as you go, it, because part of it, being organized and being a leader is thinking ahead. How can I make sure I'm prepared for next week when the coaches get back? Or how can I be prepared for week one and versus week three versus week six? And, and you have to think ahead as the leader because everybody needs – uh, a calendar everybody needs a vision but part of being a great leader is being in the moment and being around your players and being around your staff and figuring out what's important for today so I don't have a great answer for that I know it's it's both you have to as a leader always look ahead and always plan but also in order to be really effective you got to make sure you're accomplishing what you need for that day you and your wife Joanna have have six kids four boys two girls ranging from three to fifteen <laughs> under the roof there for the time being anyway. And, and you know, Vinny, Sienna, Gino, Nico, uh, Capri, and Rocco. Strong theme there. Uh, somebody <laughs> loves Italy. But uh, listen, I mean, being a dad to six, that's a number, right? It's a concept, not not having any kids that I, I can't even wrap my head around. But it's not six. It's six individuals, right, who are different people. Despite some shared DNA, they have very different personalities, I would imagine. They have different needs from a dad at different stages in their life. How do you make that work, man? How do you possibly give every, because you people will say, Hey, listen, if everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority. Right. That's right. That's right. And it's, it's really tough, Chris, because when you have six and you're, and you're a football coach, when you have the chance to get home or the chance to be around your family or bring your family here, you want them all right. You just want to be, be around them all. But as you said, they're all different. They all have different needs. And so you have to be intentional um, with the little time that you have that you can spend with them, you have to be intentional. My 15-year-old needs different attention and, and a different father than my three-year-old, you know? And so an example is how can I, hey, bring the 15-year-old here to work to get a workout. Come get a workout. I'll be around you. I'll have a chance to talk with you, connect with you late at night after we get the little kids to bed. The three-year-old, right? He can be the most needy, but his time might be when he comes into mom and dad's bed. Right. And, and that's something that we've always said. No kids allowed in our bed. Well, a three-year-old, he's the baby. He's always allowed. <laughs> and then we got, a, we got the, the nine-year-old, the nine-year-old boy, Gino, you know, he's, he's a thicker kid. He's a thicker kid. Um, and so I make him take the dog on walks with me. So if I can ever take the dog on a walk, that's me and Gino's time. And so I keep saying there's, you have to be intentional in terms of being a parent to them all, but giving every individual kid their own time. Man, I admire that. That that has to be a, a daily challenge, but it, it, it seems like um, you and your wife are up to it. 
you know, one of the things that have impressed me is that you went around and spoke to every living Notre Dame ex football coach, which seems like, okay, a no brainer, but not many people would have maybe the humility or the wisdom to do that. One of them you spoke to, of course, is Tyron Willingham, who recruited you when you were considering strongly to go to Notre Dame. You've said he reminded you of his dad. What did you take from his conversation? Because obviously he was the first black head coach at Notre Dame in any sport. So it has a perspective there that maybe um, was valuable to you. Yeah, I think every person you've talked to, every former coach that has been here, coaches that maybe haven't been here, they all give you their knowledge. They all give you their advice. You take what you want, right? And, and you know, Coach Willingham gave me a lot of different um you know, examples from when he was here and why they didn't have success or why they did have success. Ultimately, the thing I got from him is you have to make sure your staff's aligned. You have to make sure that um, everybody outside of your players, you're, you're going to spend time with your players, you'll take care of your players, but everybody outside of your players has to be on the same page. You have to be clear in communication. And um, that's something that I, I remember taking from him in our conversation amongst many other things that I'll leave between me and him, but it, it, it was a very important conversation to have it helped um, me learn some lessons maybe that I didn't know before talking to him but I think the the overwhelming theme that every person that I've talked to has given me be who you are do it your way here's some things that I did that I would maybe redo or I wouldn't do you have to do things your way and and I take all that advice that I get and I say okay this I might have two pages of notes this is the thing I got from him that I'm going to try to incorporate. And it's something from every person I talk to. Yeah, that powerful sense of self and the need to be yourself, I think, serves us all well. But even more so, when you are a representative, you are a representative by taking this job of not just a lot of coaches in all sports, a lot of people who have felt, rightfully so, underrepresented. And so the responsibility, the pride that goes along with that, but also the responsibility, and you're just sort of beginning your journey as head coach, but I'd be surprised if you haven't gotten letters or communications from people saying, coach, you are representing so much. Your feelings on that? It's, it's real. It's real. And, uh, the, the things that you've just said, all those things have happened, all those communications have happened. Um, I got a reminder from a coach yesterday that I highly respected. He said, you have the single most important minority head coaching job in all sports. And it was something you just go, okay. Now, that's a reminder, right? We all need reminders. What is my daily motivation every day to wake up and to come and work and work as hard as I can? It's for these players. It's to help them reach their goals. And, and I say that, Chris, because, yeah, I got to work hard man, I got to understand that I have to have success. I want to have success for that next wave, that the representation of others. But I come to work in the way I'm going to have success and to serve our players is to work tirelessly to help them reach their goals. As I said earlier, what's one of their goals? To be national champions. So every day I come in the office, how can I do whatever it takes to make sure this program is, is close to that level that we can win every game we play? Right. How, what, how can I make sure we put the people around them that help them develop to be NFL football players? Because that's what they all want to do. That's their goals. Right. How can I make sure that we're doing things to help prepare them for life after football? Because that's something maybe some of them have goals of that right now, but they will at some point. Right. Maybe not all of them think about that right now, but they will at some point. So 
that is my motivation, Chris, is that I want to make sure these guys have success now in the present and long throughout their life. And, and that's all that's always in the forefront of my head as I come to work. Yeah, I mean, I can I can hear the pride. I, I can also understand that that must be a, a daunting feeling. You know, I've, I've been at this a long time and had conversations with lots of black head coaches over over three decades of time, and and many have had very different opinions. But one of the themes that does come through is that part of being unrepresented and not getting opportunities is that giving the same chance to rebuild, which you don't have to do, thankfully, or completely change around an incredibly difficult situation or be given the patience to sort through those things or be given a second chance if it doesn't work out the first place is frankly not the same for minority coaches and hasn't been. And, and there are lots of facts to back that up. Um, where are you with that? Work tirelessly to try to make sure I have as much success as I can as fast as I can, right? And that I'm in a unbelievable situation. As, as we've talked about earlier, where this program is. And, and um, I believe I have every resource to make sure that um, we continue to excel. And so that's my focus. Like how do we continue to enhance? How can we continue to get better? You know what? One day I, I'm sure I am going to look back and say, okay, maybe this was something different I could have done to help. Or maybe, you know what? I, I, I'm not a glass half empty guy, right? I look at this in that, we have everything in these walls that we need to be successful. If we're not successful, I'm going to look at myself and say, what didn't I do to make sure we have success? And I'm just speaking about Marcus Freeman. I'm not speaking about anybody else. What didn't I do to make sure we have success? And so that's, to me, my focus, Chris, is to make sure that I believe we have everything in our power, everything we need to be the most successful program in the country. So our job, my job is to make sure we find a way to do that. Something you said, and my preparation hit me, and you talked about leadership obviously being high on the list for your players, and that is true a lot of places for a lot of coaches, but you said leadership by example isn't enough. That made me pause and think. I like to think that I've done things pretty decent over my career, but I haven't maybe been enough of a vocal leader to other people. It's been, hey, I, I will try to set the example and do what I can do. You want people to do more than that. And I think it's useful for people who are involved in all walks of life. Leadership by example to you is only a part of it, it seems. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and I use that in terms with our players in that when we think of a leader by example, we think of a guy that does, usually performs really well, right? He's usually a really good performer, um, but he doesn't say anything. And so I'm not saying you have to be the raw, raw motivational guy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's everybody in our football program's job to hold each other accountable to our standards. And so if you see somebody not doing, not performing up to our standards, if they're, greatest example, if they're supposed to touch the line, they don't touch the line. If they're supposed to turn right, they don't turn right. But you don't say anything then you're just letting that become the new standard. And so that's what I'm trying. When I say those things, leadership by example, I'm talking about the guys that don't say anything, the guys that allow others to underachieve and underperform. And we can't have that because it's everybody's job from the secretary to the head coach, to the strength coach, to the starting tight end, to the scouting guy to say, you know what? This is a family. If you underachieve or you don't do what is expected, hey man, I want to call you out. Hey, touch the line. 
you know, or, or, hey, finish through whatever it is that we're looking for, whatever the standard that has been set, we all have to hold each other accountable. And if you don't, right, which we said, hey, that's the leader by example, you're not the guy that says anything, then you're allowing us all to underperform. You talked a lot and lived it, putting others before self. You'd like your players to do that too. And many would say, eh, yeah, good luck with the Generation Z because this generation is selfish. This generation is soft. This generation is concerned about their own success and not the collective. I, it's a bad rap. I've done talks and posts about this, but it's also a generation that, that it isn't enough to just tell them what to do and don't give them the reasons behind it and say, hey, it's all about the name on the front of the jersey and not the back because that's not how they've grown up. That's not their framework for their existence. How challenging, Marcus, is it to get a bunch of guys to put others before themselves? Well, for me, the challenge is to get them to care about each other. That's where it starts for me. Let's get them to care. Get them to choose to love each other. And that is an everyday uh, mission of mine is to how do I get these guys to make the choice to love each other? And I believe love is a choice and you have to choose to love your teammate. And how can I put you in situations or give you examples where this is going to help this program have success, which in turn will help you have individual success. Team success comes first. With team success comes individual success, but we have to get them to care first. We got to get them to truly choose to love each other every day. Choose to love each other, choose to be a team, choose to care about each other. And then all of a sudden you'll say, okay, it's about team because I will get my, when I, when we have team success, I will get my individual success. Man, that's powerful. It reminds me of a study I saw done where they talked about the qualities that define success for combat soldiers whose lives are on the line every day and what is important for them and what ranked ahead of courage and bravery and strength and toughness was love. Love was the number one thing that was important because if they didn't have love for the guy next to them, they couldn't do their job. And it was more about that than it was the bravery to jump on a grenade, right? That is, that is so powerful. I couldn't agree with you more. That is exactly the point I'm trying to hit with these players in this program is that if we don't love each other, if we don't choose to love each other and care about each other, the opponent doesn't matter because we're not going to sacrifice when we need it most. You've called yourself a dynamic recruiter. Um, others have said relentless. You've hired seven new coaches to add to a staff. You want all of them to be dynamic recruiters. You've had tremendous early return success on that. This is a different kind of recruiting, though. I mean, being a relentless recruiter now in the era of free agency via the transfer portal, NIL, it means a different thing because it's a 365, 24-7 thing. Um above board and below board. But what, what do you, in the context of this current climate, what does a relentless dynamic recruiter mean? Hard work. It, it means outworking other coaches. And, and that doesn't mean always mean you're gonna win, right? There's, that's, that doesn't mean you're always gonna win, but it's not gonna be because of a lack of effort. And so how can we make sure that kid and that family knows who we are, knows we're recruiting part of anybody else because we care about an authentic relationship. We have to get these players to feel that these coaches and this coaching staff care about them, right? On top of what this university provides for them and the opportunity that it offers them because we have to believe, I believe, as the head coach and our assistants have to believe that 
there is no greater opportunity for a young person to come play football at the highest level, get at the highest level of education in a network that will truly open so many doors for them. You have to believe that first. Then you have to do the things necessary to get that young person in his family to understand that too many times, I tell our staff all the time, don't just recruit the player. We have to recruit the families, you know? And if you're recruiting my son, guess what? My job as his father is to help guide him to make the right decision. So we have to have relationships with the families and, and but it takes time. That's not one conversation. And, and that's to me, when I say relentless recruiters that we will not stop daily of communicating and building a relationship with these young people. I want you to tell me if you disagree with this, but I've said this and I, I do believe that because the sport is so top heavy and because the same team seem to be competing for the championship every year, there are really two groups of programs at the top of the sport. And one of them states very clearly and backs it up with dollars, commitments, whatever it takes. I'm, I'm not saying breakthroughs, but within reason, whatever it takes to win a championship, we will do. And we know who the programs are because they're the same ones that are battling for playoff positions. The other ones who believe they're not going to go that far. They're not going to state that whatever it takes we're going to have a championship caliber football program. LSU is a whatever it takes program. I don't know. Have Notre Dame has been in the past. I think they would not like that label, certainly. But but where do you see the Irish in, in fitting into that? Or even if you buy my my dichotomy, I I believe Notre Dame's committed um, to s supporting this football program to become national champions. And, and that's my belief. And again, that comes from a guy that's been a head coach for seven and a half months. And, but I believe, and I have a strong belief, and I hope everybody in our program believes that Notre Dame has supported us and will continue to support us to do everything it takes to win a national championship. My job is to continue to grow, figure it out, reevaluate, look back and say, okay, do we have what it takes? I believe right now, and I feel like we have the full support of this administration, um, our athletic director, our president, that they are committed to doing whatever it takes that we need to win a national championship. And Notre Dame has been in the playoff and has been close other years, including last year in, in Cincinnati, um, coached by Luke Fickle, who's the godfather of, of your youngest child. I mean, they had a tremendous season. They were in the bracket of four, but to do it year in, year out, to be there competing and able to win two playoff games, not just get in the bracket and, and take home the trophy, is it is it daunting to try to chase down and keep up with the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Georgias and the Ohio States and Oklahomas, et cetera, the teams that have dominated that playoff bracket so far? Daunting? I don't know if I would say daunting. I would say, what is, in your opinion, what do you believe it takes to get to that level? And I think my opinion is it starts with talent. It starts with continuing to get the best players in the country that, that fit Notre Dame, but are the best football players in the country. And, and that's what we have to continue to do. And, and we every year, every year you got to say, okay, you're, you're not looking at your current roster as much as, okay, Let's evaluate these high school or, or college portal guys and say, okay, who are the best ones in the country through our evaluation that fit Notre Dame 
that could help us win a national championship. So it starts with recruiting. It starts with getting the right players. The second part is the continuing to have a culture, right? Is that's the buzzword, but what is your culture? In it? And is your culture strong enough to, when your talent is there, to help you win a national champion? So it's an everyday focus and everyday struggle. But it, to me, that is our formula to continuing to improve, is continuing to acquire the best talent that we feel is out there through our evaluations and convince them or, or get them to realize Notre Dame is the place they want to go to school when they want to play college football at. And then two, we have to continue to enhance every day, enhance our culture, enhance this team, enhance this program. You talked a lot about hoping that your players appreciate the work they put in and also the wisdom that they're gaining while in school and the wisdom they have to the potential to gain because again, I don't want to sound like an old person again, but you know, I, I think a lot of people in college age don't fully appreciate the opportunity they have and don't, and, and don't view education as a really multifaceted horizontal thing. And they think I'm going to go to class, listen to the professor, whereas education can happen. I think much more effectively just by learning from the students that are around you, especially at a place like Notre Dame, where there's just a lot of really impressive people from varied backgrounds. What message do you drive home to your players about, it's tough for young people to appreciate what you have and know that there's so much value every single day of your college experience. Yeah. Again, I try to, I try to preach that message, but that's what the head coach is supposed to do, right? You're supposed to say it's important to go to class. You're supposed to say, Hey, you're, you, it's value. There's valuable uh, rewards in getting an education, but part of that also is bringing in real life examples or showing them examples of what the education at Notre Dame provides for them. And so I often try to do that to remind them the privilege they have to go to school here. I, we had a week um, where uh, it was discretionary. They didn't have to work out this summer. Um, they were here on campus. Um, and what I did was we, we invited people, individuals that could remind our players that wasn't the head coach, of the privilege they have to go to school here. Here's a real life example of a person that went to school here, got an education here. That's one of the most successful people in this world. This is why you have to strain and go to class and study and, and do the things that is necessary to obtain this degree. Here's another example of a guy working with a Notre Dame man that wasn't a football player that, you know what, they made a connection. Now they're working together. Now they're really successful businessmen. Here's Justin Tuck. We had Justin Tuck come back and, um, you know, and say, okay, here's a person that did it. He, he's done everything you want to do. He, he's played great college football. He was an NFL draft pick, Super Bowl champ, all pro, all these things. Now he's a successful businessman. Let him come back and tell you what the Notre Dame experience um, did for him. And so I think it's constant reminders. It's not just the head coach speaking it, but giving them real life examples that, you know what? Okay, I got to go to class. Here's why. Here's why I'm doing what I do. You believe in, in process over result, which I think is smart. The path being more important than the destination. But this is a results-based thing. And, you know, a lot of smart coaches have said you are what your record says you are. So if you're allowed to talk, to think about where the path could lead and focus on the destination for yourself with this program, what is the destination? What is the result at Notre Dame that will make you feel like, hey, this is successful? For me, it's, it's given these players in this university what they want, and that's their 12th national championship, right? And that's, to me, that's not why I come to work every day, right? It's 
it's what I want for this place. And it's what I want for these players because that's why they chose Notre Dame. That's why I'm sure a lot of the Notre Dame chose me because there's the belief of, of getting that 12th national championship and, and so on. And so that to me is something that we, we, we don't shy away from. We, we want to be national champions. The process of getting there is where we need to focus at and to really focus on. Um, but that's, that's, that's to me, definitely a goal. If you get there, I'm sure it's going to be by doing it your way and being yourself and, and, and doing it the right way. So it'll be fascinating to see how this unfolds. Definitely fired up for, for the opening game and what's to, what's to come in your first full season as head coach. Any, any final thoughts or anything we haven't covered? No, this has been great. Um, <laughs> dude, I, it's my turn. I, would, I was going to pick your brain for a while. Hey, know? listen, I, nobody ever comes with questions, but yeah. this is better when it's a conversation. I'll, ask, I'll answer anything you want. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just, I mean, from your experience to where you started to where, I guess here's the one question I love to ask people who are really successful individuals like yourself, if you can go back and talk to 36-year-old Chris Fowler and, and, you know, I don't know where were you at with 36, but to where you're at now, what advice would you give the 36-year-old Chris Fowler? Mm. Um, well, I was already at ESPN for about a dozen years. <laughs> and I think that, you know, we all go through phases, man. We, I, I think that it took me a while to figure out gratitude and acceptance of what the universe deals with us and, and getting beyond anger and, and frustration and resentment. Those are all human emotions. They're all, they're part of all of us. Right. But if you can practice acceptance, I think you can get beyond that. And, and I, w I would tell myself that because listen, I mean, there's a lot tougher businesses than this, but this is not the easiest thing when it comes to, um, you know, operating in a fishbowl. So that would be one thing just, uh, to remind myself to be grateful, but I think you're already there, man. I, you don't need any help, uh, being evolved, especially where you are at 36 years old. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what about with you and Kirk? I mean, how you two have grown together as a partnership, you know, over how, how many years have you two been in the booth together? What blow you away? I think it's going to be year 27 on, on fall Saturdays, which would include game day. Uh, a little th some Thursday games and then ABC Prime. So isn't that crazy? We, we, we hit a point where we're, we've done that longer together than the players recovering have been alive by quite a few years <laughs> at this point. <laughs> wow. That's unbelievable. How have you two, I mean, what intentional things that you two have done over your career to help that cohesiveness amongst you two, you, the two of you? Yeah, you like each other. You share a passion for the sport. Fundamentally, that's what it is. Um, authenticity. I think that's the key behind game day success fans. As, as you point out, players, especially this generation can sense and smell inauthenticity better than any generation. And they're also, they feel the freedom to express that when they sense it mm -hmm. maybe more than other generations. So we authentically love the sport, um, love being around it, uh, great affection for each other. And that extends also to Desmond Howard and Lee Corso and others who have been uh, a part of game day when I was there. But I think that, you know, it's a tremendous amount of trust, and we, we are sort of hardwired together at this point. I know how he sees football. I, I think he knows what I'm going to do. So we, we, we speak shockingly little about the matchup. We'll talk before your game with Ohio State, I promise you. But not as much as you might think because, um, you know, instinct and, and something that's sort of innate takes over. So And also just being open and honest in how you communicate. Sometimes it is tough love. Um, we're very different people. We have a, mm -hmm. a shared passion for the sport, but maybe the way we process that, I've never been a player. So, um, you know, his experience is going to be different and, and deeper than mine in some ways. 
But, um, you know, I, I think we learn from each other, respect each other, and, and also try to communicate as clearly as we can, even when the messages aren't that pleasant to deliver or hear, you know? Yeah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> How do you deal with time management? I was, I was looking to it a couple of weeks ago, you're over oh, to Wilmington, and now you're here. And I mean, how do you deal with it? with your time demands. Oh man. I, you said something very smart in my, my prep for this. You try to slow things down. You know, I, I've read some smart people say you don't have too little time. You just have too much. That's on, that's on your mind. So trying to clear away some of the static and be in the moment and figure out what is most important when it's right in front of you and what can get shuffled a little bit farther back and what you can spend less time on. And also I think too, that listen for any job like yours or anything else, Sometimes being the best prepared doesn't mean spending the most hours grinding on my chart or your game tape. You know, it's important to prepare that way, but ultimately how you are in front of your players on Saturday afternoon, how I am when I go and, you know, with a headset on in the booth, that's what's super important. I mean, that's what, at least in my view, that's what you're judged by. So I could prepare like crazy if I have a shitty show because my mind isn't in the right place that I prepare well. So learning, I think that, that sometimes the best preparation doesn't mean the most time grinding on the details, but getting yourself in the proper frame of mind to do the best job that you can. Mm, that's powerful. That's really powerful. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's it is. Good. I mean, I'm just trying to, I, I, you're, you're a hell of an interviewer. This has gone uh, a fun <laughs> direction, but I am respectful of your time. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. That's really good. No, this has been great. This has been great. Obviously, I respect what you've done and uh, followed your career. You know, I, I told you at the top, Marcus, my wife, Jennifer, is a co-executive producer of this podcast. And in, in researching this interview, uh, she told me this morning, I have a team to follow. I'm a Notre <laughs> Dame fan. I'm a Marcus Freeman fan. So take that. that and awesome. Jennifer has really good judgment and instinct. So uh, you, you have a fan in my household uh, from now Thank on. You. So Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. This has been great, man. This has been great. Marcus Freeman has always impressed me during my visits with him as a player, an assistant coach, and more so now as CEO of Notre Dame football. I love what his example represents about hard work and preparation to be ready to meet your moment. And I hope you're as fired up as I am for the Fighting Irish against the Buckeyes in the horseshoe. It kicks off our ABC Saturday Night Football season, September 3rd. I'm also fired up about season five of Fowler Who You Got, another wide range of compelling guests and topics. I enjoy every one of these conversations. I always learn a lot, and I think you will too. As always, thanks to my co-executive producer, Jennifer Dempster, and to editor, Jason Weikelt. I'll talk to you soon.